Uh, well, Jacob, it's good to see you again, my friend. Uh, it was a, uh, we saw you back at the festival. I like those glasses, man. What are what are those? Where'd you get those? Um, these are some glasses that I ordered online, and, and I can't read the brand without them on. So okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's how that works? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, a friend of mine um, sent me a pair about three years ago. I didn't even know I needed reading glasses, but I, I was having trouble concentrating on, on the computer screen. And suddenly I was like, oh, I don't have a brain disease. I just needed reading glasses. So are I they bought, blue light? Um, I have one pair of blue light, but I'm not sure what they actually do. I know, I feel like I just need to do it for the, um, you know, the placebo effect maybe that that yeah. may help me out well the macintosh computer already makes gets rid of the blue light so then i'm not quite sure what the purpose of the blue oh, light does it, it does. Oh, well there's really? a setting on there for that yeah russell you're supposed to keep me up on tabs of all these technological advancements yeah. i'm not part of the apple uh conspiracy but see I bet, I bet i bet uh lucas how how old are you my friend i'm 12 i just turned 12 like two days ago Oh, well, happy birthday. Happy belated. How's 12 feel? Same. I mean, <laughs> I feel like I, I'm getting a little bit, I'm catching up to my mom even more, I feel like. In How's height. so? In, in height? height? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I'm really close to, I might even be her height right now. What do you think, mom? Not quite. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm I'm 35 and I'm still not at my mother's height. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out that way, Lucas. So, hang in there. I'm hoping I'm hoping the best for you. Yeah, I'm gonna end up taller than my dad. <laughs> He's that sure of it. It's Jacob, you're a tall guy. What are you six six one six two? I'm si I'm one of those two. It depends what kind of day it is. It, it, you know, if I've been yeah. doing setups and stuff like that, then I'm six two. Otherwise, I'm six one. Well, see, I, I'm, I'm at the point now to where Instagram is um, suggesting shoes that will give me two more inches of height. <laughs> that's, that's where I am in my life. I don't know how it, it happened, but, and also, am I thinking about getting them? Sure. Yeah, bump me up to 5'6", because that's really going to matter. <laughs> is my uh, signal good enough here? Because I, you guys just froze up a little bit. Not the audio, just the visual. Uh, yeah, no, uh, you're coming across good. Sometimes the, the video will get a little laggy, but if, uh, if we get any funky stuff on the audio, Randy's pretty good at throwing that in the chat. Yeah. Zencaster, the, um, programmer using kind of came out of late lockdown and is pretty much for podcasting. So even if our video's lagging, the audio will still come through good. We're all in our own channel. Okay. So, yeah. So you get Not to really mix it, mix it after the fact yeah randy's got all that that's cool <laughs> a friend of mine did a podcast of me and he accidentally recorded me at some slower speed so when he played it back i was talking really really really, really fast and uh, <laughs> he didn't even notice but it was super <laughs> <bizarre>. <laughs> dude <laughs> yeah the worst things could happen you could have a guest on and then not record any of it and yes. then uh, RIP to our first engineer. Yeah. That actually happened three times mm -hmm. with us. So. <laughs> it happened on our movie a lot where I would like be holding the light and holding the camera. And I 
try to press the button to get it to start and I wouldn't actually hit it. And then at the end of this great take, I'd have to tell the kids, oh my God, I didn't hit record. (laughs) (laughs) Say again, Lucas. It's the worst feeling. Yeah, for sure. When you think you got something perfect, he's like, yes. And he's like, oh no, I forgot to record. We had the same thing. Our engineer, um, who, let's face it, um, you know, misspent youth, uh, you know, taking a lot of Molly at EDM clubs, and his brain was had no more wrinkles in it. It was just a smooth, smooth brain, and there was nothing left. Uh, Lucas, stay away from drugs. And <laughs> he was recording the show, and at the and we had a stu- we had a guest in studio, and we wrapped up, had a great talk with a local guy. A uh, film programmer out here, and then as soon as it ended, he went "uh oh," <laughs> and then held up the HDMI cable that was supposed to be attached to his computer uh, from the mixer. Yeah, it was the USB. He didn't even have it plugged in. Yeah, and yeah, dude had flown out. Dude, Jacob, you would have liked him. He was like an avant-garde curator out here. So he would show like forty-five minute long films about gears turning in a clock, and. Mm. We had a great conversation. We're like, wow, I feel like we're adults now. And then we lost it all. Yeah. And you got into a big fight with that dude. Well, yeah, I had to let him go. (laughs) Well, you know, I I love the idea of a uh, director like uh, Jacob Aaronistas filming with his phone. And I don't know if cinema has died and we're in a current state of rebirth or if uh, I don't know, Hollywood's just kind of given in. And Jacob, what is the current title of your movie? right now it's called he's watching okay i i had heard that it might have changed names again and i didn't want to get it wrong no it was originally called you belong to me and then it became he's watching okay hold on let me put one of our producers on the spot oxana jump on here you had (laughs) filled my head with the title change again i did the screener we got was titled evp screener it's probably a file name or something (laughs) (laughs) unbelievable Electronic something something. Yeah, EB- yeah. Oxana, you're fired. I love you, and uh, we will continue to date, but uh, you're fired. Welcome to the show, everybody. <laughs> this is what we deal with. So, Jacob, how how do we get a filmmaker like? And just just for a little bit of context, I know it will be in the show notes, but um, I'm familiar with your work because Mean Creek. And when I had graduated, <laughs> when I had stopped attending community college, I uh, fell into a wormhole of film. And I didn't know it at the time, but I, I was a big fan of like gritty indie film. And Mean Creek, I bought at Amoeba. I remember I still have the DVD. And it's one of those movies that I, you know, I just remember fondly where it's like, you know, film can go to a darker place. And, and then you have this career. And then you end up, at our film fest because you've made an in-world camera horror movie. And I'm so curious how you ended up there in the lockdown, making a kind of paranormal activity film with your family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were, um, all sort of suffering that anxiety and, um, you know, this feeling like the world is possibly ending (laughs) and, and the way that, uh, Lucas, who's, sitting here and um, expressed it. One of the ways was he wanted to watch every single horror movie ever made. And um, <laughs> that included a lot of, a lot of good ones and a lot of <laughs> ones good. 
And while we were watching one of the ones that wasn't so good, um, I think I said, you know, we could probably make one better than this here at the house. And then I think it was maybe even that very night, the kids were excited about that thought at the time. And we just went out, we just went into the kitchen and shot a scene that didn't make it into the movie. And um, then I shot a few more scenes over the next couple nights that also didn't make it into the movie because we didn't have a story in mind. We were just um, filming horror gags. And it was a way of um, us having fun together and doing something together and connecting um, and distracting us. Um, and really, we had nothing else to do. Um, and it just evolved. And at some point, we shot a scene, and I forget which scene it was. But the kids were so, they were so good, apparently, as actors and so engaged uh, that I wasn't sure I was even right that they were good. You know, so I showed my wife, Gretchen, who's in the movie. I showed a few friends some of the scenes and everybody agreed they're really good. So I didn't want to just be delusional, a delusional father. So um we just started to develop a, a storyline of them home alone. The world's kind of ending. It's not, it's not the pandemic. It's some other awful pandemic where only children are alive. And um, it, we didn't know where we were going. And then eventually we sort of found our way and we found, we found our way through this really bizarre circumstance that I got really excited about finishing the movie, really wanted to make the movie. And the kids at a certain point started to express resentment that I was so serious about making the movie because they wanted to just, you know, play Fortnite and, you know, go in the room and listen to music or whatever. And so then I realized that I could be the villain of the movie. And um, that's, well, I became the villain of the movie, explo exploiting them um, to make a commercial movie. That's what the yeah. demon in, in the movie want, right? And we just kept going until we finished. <laughs> All right. Now, wanting to watch every horror movie available, what does that look like? Because in, in my head, I'm imagining you jump on Amazon Prime and it's Russian roulette. That's what we did, right, Lucas? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Amazon prime as uh, you can get down some wormholes there quickly. Yeah. And you can find a lot of like deep. Oh man. There are some rabbit holes where there's a real fandom for films that you will never hear about anywhere. And I know like the Blackwell ghost is one that we've gotten into pretty recently. That's all in world camera or I, I'm so curious. What's the film that made you go? We could do this. Is there oh, one? I don't, I don't, I don't want to say. <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. <laughs> hey, I mean, there's none of that. I mean, we were, I motiv we were motivated by some films that, but like, yeah, there was like we were motivated by that. We thought like that looks, that seems like something that we want to make our film like. And yeah, yeah, there were also some films that were like really stupid and we were like, <laughs> We could definitely do this, if not better. What's one and of the stupid ones? <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to name the stupid ones, but <laughs> we, 
<laughs> we um, there were a bunch of times where we were watching a movie like some that we really liked. Like there was the movie about the um, uh, the Jewish family and somebody died and somebody had to to babysit the the body. Yes, and there yes. Was, I forget what it was the called. Vigil. The vigil. The vigil. And so it was, she. It was a good movie, and and it, but there was a moment in it that was so scary. And and it was like, okay, how do I make a moment that scary in this movie? What what could I do? And we just sit around thinking about it, maybe talking to the kids about it, and then stage it. Yeah, <laughs> and just kind of fold it into our story. And there were a bunch of a bunch of movies like that where I just thought, oh, that's interesting how they did that jump scare, how they created that tension, and we could do something like that. Now, Jacob, before this sort of pandemic-driven uh, exploration into horror, were, were, do, did you consider yourself a, a horror fan before? I'm not really a person that likes to – Lucas knows this. Like, he'll always be asking me, what's your favorite color? And I'll be like, I don't have a favorite color. I don't like the question. And that's been my whole thing, um, you know, during my career is I don't really have a particular genre that I'm – uh, drawn to or excited about. I'm just excited about good stories that engage me. And when they're terrifying, like the shining or something like that, yeah. you know, not- then I'm a horror fan. <laughs> and if, you know, and if, if, sure. but if, but if I'm watching deliverance, um, I'm a, you know, I'm a drama, natural drama horror fan, you know, if yeah. I'm, it just depends on, on the movie. Um, so I've been exploring different things throughout my career, you know, which a lot of my career and a lot of filmmakers career is just exploring ideas and writing scripts and they don't always make it to the screen. But uh, Lucas, of- did any horror movie stand out to you? Like, what did you like that you ended up watching? I thought, I mean, mostly all the paranormal activities. Like I liked like the POV thing. Like, where you see, like, their point of view and, like, them, like, opening, like, a door and, like, what could be behind it. And, like, those those kind of films, like, those were my favorite. I also like comedy, but if it's not good, then I just force myself to laugh and I don't like <laughs> that. <laughs> good audience. I could have I used more of you in comedy clubs. <laughs> Been very helpful. No, it's, you know, Paranormal Activity is a weird one because... It came out of nowhere and people enjoyed it when they came in with no expectations. But that second wave of people, they were there to tear it down. And I, I love hearing that there's an audience on Amazon Prime rediscovering these films. I totally think you should check out Blackwell Ghost if you're into the point of view thing. It's a little bit more subdued. But um, as far as storytelling, man, there's really a no budget movie that's kind of yeah. captivating. And I, I also think that you guys succeeded there too. And the fact that he's watching is a lockdown movie is incredibly interesting. And, and I like Jacob, how you mentioned he'd rather be playing like Fortnite because in your film, we, we get to see your children in a, in a reality where there is no parents, you're not there. And we're really devoid of any digital distraction. Like I imagine now if a child was home alone and it, you know, I know what younger me would have done. I probably would have went in my parents' room and dug through everything they're hiding from me or like looked around, tried to get into anything. But now I think 
I'd probably just sit there and play video games all day. Damn. And yet you, you managed 64. Yeah. And you know, it had never occurred to me until I was listening to a podcast today talking about stranger things and how that movie is kind of about children exploring the world without helicopter parents. And I'm like, Whoa, he's watching. You kind of created an authentic modern time where it felt like, uh, your kids just had a bunch of creative things they'd rather be doing. I don't know. It was kind of beautiful. Was that natural or did you have to write that? Like, Lucas, would you normally be playing drums or the piano or would it be like Fortnite? Um, it would be a mixture of both. Honestly, I, I love playing piano. I love playing guitar and drums and stuff. I would probably be playing a lot of Fortnite, though. <laughs> yeah, I never got into Fortnite. I recently got Fall Guys because it's become free and I've been yeah. playing Evil Dead, too. Or the uh, the Ash vs. the Evil Dead like yeah. online game. So I prefer, I prefer 2K. I don't really. I mean, I still play Fortnite sometimes, but like none of my friends really play it anymore. So I I just play 2K with my dad and stuff. Oh, that's NBA right. NBA yeah. 2K. Yeah, yeah. I just I just got that uh, a few weeks ago for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Man, basketball games are very difficult. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm having a tough time. Having a tough time. Basically, I just walk around with the guy. I went on that weird cruise ship and bought a watch. <laughs> Which you can do that on a basketball game. Dude, and disclaimer, Clark is terrible at video games. He also I'm got, not terrible. He also got Fall Guys. He's just in his room swearing all day. I'm, okay, let me tell you, I'm going to break that TV playing <laughs> Fall Guys. It's going to happen. But yeah, Lucas, you're fantastic in this film. You and your sister, you... So we do, we do a a film podcast, but it's mostly horror. And we run a film fest for in-world camera, basically like POV, faux documentary, and found footage horror. And watching you guys on screen, you, on screen, you kind of steal the movie. Like, normally we can get people to watch any found footage thing with the expectation of like a ghost or a Bigfoot or Loch Ness, some kind of cryptid. But with your film... And he's watching, I think we could have just hung out with the kids the whole run. And there's an interesting power dynamic that develops. Like, in the lobby, now, we screen at the Balboa Theater out here. There, there's a big, beautiful lobby. And we have the privilege to come out and talk to people about the film after. Everybody's obsessed with the, the fight over the strawberries. Now, is that a scripted moment, or did that occur naturally? <laughs> that happens a lot between us. <laughs> so I had some practice already. <laughs> you know, it was like um, I, I would sometimes see them bickering about something and we would just say, oh, this could be a scene in the movie. And then we would elaborate on it. And um, but all the dialogue in the strawberry fight, it's some of my best dialogue if I was really the screenwriter, but I didn't write it. Um, Lucas improvised all of that. And, and um, sometimes I might call out a line, you know, or, or come up with a line after the fact. Um, which, and there are a lot of lines off screen that feel like they're on screen <laughs> because the, that, that's one of the advantages of the point of view camera is like whoever's, you know, holding the camera at that point, if it's my daughter or my son, we can rewrite the dialogue to say absolutely anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but a lot of the times they just, we would have like a subject like, okay, you guys fight over strawberries. 
And suddenly Lucas would say these weird lines that I didn't, uh, couldn't have scripted. I don't share because I don't care. <laughs> There's something about authenticity that like voyeurs who love found footage horror that you can really like filter out when people are faking it. And those moments feel so real, but there's also, so again, and he's watching, there's a pandemic and we're left with children who are kind of um, unsupervised in a home for an extended period of time. And there are all these like existential things that you imagine as an adult. Like I know watching it where, you know, they might be fighting over strawberries, but it's like, ultimately food's going to be an issue in the future. And you're kind of hanging out on the couch just eating strawberries. And although the movie's not really about that, it's super interesting watching children kind of document a modern, very comfortable life in what might be an apocalypse. Like you were talking about, Jacob, like uh, there was a minute there where people didn't know if the world was over and society was about to collapse. And you get this privileged opportunity to watch uh, a couple of kids just like, I don't know, Hanging out, playing yeah. drums, spray painting strawberries. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> r- drawing with lipstick on a mirror. Yeah, I don't. Uh, it, it's a very interesting film you've made. Now, was it all discovered just while um, recording and kind of throwing out lines, or at some point were you like, "No, this is going to be real," and you went and wrote an outline? Yeah. So about halfway into it, and. Um, right after I realized that the, I was going to be the, the villain of the movie, forcing them to make a movie, and that it was going to be a movie about a filmmaker wanting to make a movie, you know, that weird meta, you know, in-joke <laughs> of yeah. the whole thing. Th- then I went to my computer and I wrote um, an outline. Um, and, and a little bit of dialogue. Um, and it was about 20 pages long, but the kids never wanted to read that script. I couldn't <laughs> could not get them anywhere near the script. So what we would do um, is we would go and in, into the space that we were going to film in, and I'd tell them about the scene, and I'd say, maybe this is an important line here, this is an important line there. And then, you know, we'd just go for it. Sometimes um, if Lucas wasn't in the mood, um, to participate, um, I'd say, okay. And then I'd hold the camera as if I was Lucas and I'd read, I'd do the lines with Iris. And then the next day, uh, Lucas would come and do ADR. <laughs> and, and I, eventually I had to start paying him to do ADR. <laughs> yeah. It's so, funny. You, you mentioned like being the villain of the film and it never struck me that way. It's almost like, kids left alone in the world that was created by their parents, they kind of start looking to follow in the footsteps naturally. And I almost thought that was coming through because they're doing video editing and stuff in this film where I'm like, one, it's incredible that that technology exists and that they know how to navigate it. Cause I was looking at them like, I would love to know how to do that. But <laughs> they were editing video and I'm like, God, I couldn't like, I don't know. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, they, they, you know, they probably started out, uh, knowing how to edit video on apps better than I did. They were, they were about five years ago making little home movies on their phones that were pretty intricate and musical. Wow. 
Um, so uh, I had to learn how to edit with the software um, uh, to make the movie. I I had cut film in college, like actual film. Yeah. <laughs> but I am, and I had turned knobs when we were using VHS tapes, you know, but I hadn't gone on to an avid um, before. And um, so I, I just, you know, I learned and they learned um, there, you know, a lot of times when it looks like they're making videos, they're not actually making the videos. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the thing is, the thing is about kids following in their father's footsteps, unfortunately. <laughs> Word. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's about this like tragedy of how we keep perpetuating the same sins over and over again. Yeah. Um, and the hope that these kids won't. Is, is that something you've worked out with your therapist? Cause I'm working on with mine right now. <laughs> yeah. I've been working on that. with. <laughs> well, Lucas does making films like interest you. Is that something you'd like to do? Yes. A hundred percent. I actually really like acting, but one thing I don't like theater. I like acting, but no theater, no like Shakespeare and stuff. I would never no. do that. Yes, you, you say that now. You're 12. You got a you got a long <laughs> road ahead of you. But the theater, that's that's the baseline, my friend. You got to bounce the boards or whatever they say. <laughs> what is it? I don't have no idea. But something with the boards. <laughs> the only thing I've heard uh like the major difference is just the live audience. You get like an instant gratification. Yeah. And there's like a team effort kind of like similar to playing a sport. I know when you're on stage, I w was a huge coward growing up. So even Still if I would, yeah, exactly. Even if I would have liked to, I would have never gotten stage. I played in a band and I, there was this weird, like ignorance is bliss thing I was living in when I got up on stage and had to play. Oh, I froze. <sighs> Not good. What was your band's name? Oh, we were, it was for a class project. So we, I was in a band called Mage. Mage? Yeah. It's about <laughs> as lame as I could have anticipated. It's like, you know, it's even worse. We were like a ripoff Rage Against the Machine. Because <laughs> everybody was doing that at the time. But it was terrible. Lucas, do you know Rage Against the Machine? I have heard of it. I, I mean, I've, I've heard some of their music, but like, I don't really listen to them. But it's pretty good. What's I like up? What's a what's a twelve what's a today twelve year old listen to? I don't, I I wouldn't know because like I don't listen to stuff. I mean I listen to like Tyler the Creator and okay. stuff like that. Have you heard of him? Uh, oh, I know Tyler. We're good <laughs> friends. Okay, he's a creator. <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lucas. No, he's a weirdo. I like him. Also, he is technically a part of the uh, the horror core movement. Really? Yeah. All right. Wikipedia told me. Yeah, that. don't look that up. Um, Lucas, if you keep making films, and if you do in-world camera stuff, I promise you we will program it. You had a screen presence, and I love it. I w and we need more shorts. God, we need some more found footage shorts. Always. So yeah, I'm extending that. That's Please the real keep making them. Yeah. So, Jacob, how how was it dealing with this medium? Like when. In the new age, are you one of the people who think uh, Michael Bay is the death of cinema, or do you think we're in like a new direction? 
Because there's a there's a yeah. What is Hollywood anymore? Well, you know the uh, the argument for Michael Bay being the death of cinema is that he captures a movie. He doesn't film it. Like the art of framing is gone. And I just wonder, from somebody who went from cutting film to filming on your phone, an impromptu script, like does that sadden you, or are you excited for what it could bring? Well, I didn't find. I didn't think that I was capturing stuff. I was pretty deliberate in a cinematic way with the stuff that I was doing. And I found that by holding this little camera, that's practically an extension of your arm, that I could be extremely emotional in the way that I moved it. And I could almost forget that I had a camera in my hand and just sort of, if I was wanting to get closer to them, I just would lean in and get closer to them. And if I wanted to pull back or circle around, I just could do it. And it was a very um, uh, freeing experience. And I, I just sort of said, I don't care about continuity and I don't care if the lighting's not perfect. Um, and I, I, I learned what I had to do to sort of, create a lighting scenario that I could work with um, when color timing. But uh, in a lot of ways, I felt like more able to be creative. Um, also because there was no pressure, uh, <laughs> which is a unique situation um, when making a film. Nobody was worried about their millions of dollars disappearing. <laughs> um, so, um and you know, it, it felt like it felt like this. I guess it felt like the stuff I made when I was a freshman in high school, and I got a Super Eight camera. You know, where I just went out and shot very freely. Um, far as Michael Bay goes, um, but but I mean, but, but go, sorry, but to go back on that feeling, was that something that you you missed? Did you enjoy having that feeling again? Oh, I loved having that feeling. I loved yeah. having feeling and i'm kind of excited to try to figure out how to bring that feeling into the next uh, high pressure situation where there's you know a dp and an operator and a focus puller and all these different layers of 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 infrastructure that you have to kind of go through in order to get your uh idea across how do how do i how do i uh find a way to be that free in that environment um, next time. So, you know, and I don't know how to, I don't, I won't exactly know how to do it, but I'm going to spend a lot of time talking with my DP about it um, yeah. and try to figure it out. But there really is, you know, I mean, there really is something about this, this device. It captures images really well, this phone, and it is so small. The kids forget it's there yeah. or they're holding it as a prop. And one of the things, you know, um, about actors is they like to have props in their hands. It frees them up. And it, so if, if the other, if one of the actors has something to do the whole time, hold a camera, they're not thinking about w what they're saying. They're just doing something. Right. So it, it creates a much more natural, uh, feeling um so there's all these huge advantages of this this device um and it's not in the way um so i think it's good for cinema um 
and eventually I presume that these digital cameras that can capture incredible images that are really, really deep and raw and have a million different ways to color them and tons of resolution can get really small. And the lens is the only thing that needs to be big. Um, and I'm kind of looking forward to that actually, because it's just taxing on my, my DP's shoulder to have the camera <laughs> on the shoulder. It really is. He has shoulder problems and he's, his feet yeah. hurt and he's, you start to sweat and, and it's a workout and that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, it, but it, it's, it's a, it's a big challenge in filmmaking and everybody feels the pressure of, of, you know, all this machinery around them. And that can be good too, can energize things and make things really important. But um, I, I like, I don't think it's the death of cinema. I bet mean, I was a big, you know, uh, fan of all the dogma movies too, when I was in film yeah. school, you yeah. know, like the celebration blew my mind. That's an incredible movie. And it was all shot with a little DV camera. No, that's perfect. I when we first started doing this show, I used to use Dogma ninety five as a way to get film fans on board with found footage horror. And I was like, they're very similar. Like they're both non traditional like studio movies, and they both have rules that um are mostly always broken by the people trying to make one of these films. Yeah. And you know, in found footage, a lot of the times it would be like have a BGM. Like, is there background music in this? A lot of the times uh, directors felt that it would amplify the film. So they would ignore that rule. And then the audience would kind of have a different relationship. You'd have the true people who are like, you broke a rule, you're out. And there are people who are just looking to have a good time. And I'm super curious about whenever people kind of veer into our lane, how they react to the story. Like there, there are some pretty, um, there's some staple parts of like writing a script like exposition that becomes a hurdle when you're telling a story but when you're dealing with an in-world camera like when you have uh two kids filming each other a lot of the times vloggers open up with straightforward exposition so i'm i'm always curious if that's like freeing the people like using this new medium to tell a story like similar medium visual but you can un you reveal things in a new way like you said when an actor is holding the camera you can show as an extension of that actor where their focus is so like if you have two people talking they might veer off and like zoom in to something that's happening outside a window right and and well, it would make sense i did i did you know notice that I would open up a lot of scenes with, you know, my daughter, like turning on the camera and the sound of the camera turning on. And so I just opened up your drawer and I found this foreclosure notice. Right. And that is, uh, uh, this amazing freeing way to bring exposition into the, the world. But, uh, at a certain point it, I started to feel self-conscious about that. And I felt like it was a crutch and, and, um, going to ultimately not be satisfying to have every scene open up with some deliberate yeah. point that the kids were trying to make. And so, you know, I would try to like start the scenes later on in the scene, you know, knowing that they might've done that two minutes ago. And then I also started to feel like if I'm going to make an in-camera 
if that's even what it's called, if I'm going to make this found footage movie, you know, I don't, I don't want to only be in the point of view of the kids. And, and because I just felt it would get tiresome and I don't know why I felt that, but I did. And, um, and I kept look, thinking about how do I, well, if I want to do a two shot and pull back and see the space and feel the space, what does that mean? And what is that about? And at first I was like, I didn't really have a rationalization for why I could do that. I just thought at a certain point, I'm going to just start doing that. People are going to forget that um, they're going to be so hopefully so absorbed in the drama between these two kids. They're going to forget that all of a sudden I cut to a two shot and they're just going to be in the moment. And, and I started to do that and it felt fine. I, I was like confident that nobody, nobody, would be bothered by that. But then when I realized that the movie would also be about this demon filming them, you know, and that I was the demon filming them, um, then it freed me up completely. All of a sudden I realized not only can I do that, I can do that in the second scene of the movie if I want. And I do. And I don't know if you even notice, but there's this, you know, my daughter says in the second or third scene of the movie, she's like, talking about where are you guys i've been texting you and and i i cut to a shot of her hand holding the phone from her point of view and nobody's filming that but me <laughs> you know and i don't even know if like stalwart fans of the genre would even notice it at that point i don't know i have no idea well now i'm telling them anybody listening to me <laughs> picking it apart um but, but I just felt like, well, um, a demon made this movie, a demon hell-bent on their exploiting their children, so why can't the demon be filming them from the very beginning? And I just went with that. Well, Jacob, Boom. we go over these movies with a fine-tooth comb. We actually, I'm, I'm not joking. The first year, we got into kind of heated. Oh, it's embarrassing yeah. now. You live but and you learn. <laughs> but we would get in debates. Where we're like, I don't know, man. They're breaking a lot of rules here. And this year, we opened Pitiful. up the whole, uh, the, we called it hybrid film, where they use elements of um, non-in-world camera. And again, that term we use as kind of an umbrella for found footage horror like Blair Witch, but also like Spinal Tap like faux documentary where yeah. the, the characters in the movie are, you know, the cameras in the movie. And when I saw he's watching, I always thought you were making a commentary on kind of um, kids who film themselves and put it out there. And, you know, a reflection, like there's a, there's a conversation to be have of, you know, I uploaded this video of me playing the piano, but my sister took video of me sleeping and I'm not cool with that. And then it turns into this conversation of like, it's so easy to record everything that maybe you, you can, I mean, we deal with the adolescent kind of like uh camera bullying. I don't know. Is there a term for that where you like weaponize video? Yes, there is a, there is a term for that. Yeah. It's called a sex tape. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. There's a way there's, I'm <laughs> sure there's a word for it, but it like, I thought you were touching on that, honestly, with the whole, like, I don't know. It's like, because you almost are embodying an outside adult. So there's like this energy there that just feels like it doesn't belong. I don't know. I had such a blast with your film. And I have to say, it's incredibly polished. And hearing you talk about thinking about lighting. What is it? What's the word? Polished. 
polished now because we we deal with so many indie films that i mean god the fear footage is another franchise uh ricky umberger he's a dude out of baltimore he made a movie that did very well um self-distributed shot it on a freaking ipad iPad, yeah ipad and also edited on the same ipad Hmm. so strange but you know we just don't get this kind of uh like did you color correct this film because it looks beautiful yeah um i obsessively color corrected uh and i found that premiere i I have a a friend who was going to who's the guy that color corrects stranger things as a matter of fact who um was going to color correct the movie um and he was going to be one of the collaborators who was going to get 5% of the profits. If there was ever going to be any profits, that's how I, how I lured in, you know, my visual effects person. And my, my combined, I don't think that's exactly how I lured them. And they just wanted to work on this movie during the pandemic. But anyways, I found myself just night after night, color correcting and doing all these weird things that I didn't even know were possible. And that maybe people don't actually do like I would, color correct it one way and then I'd make another layer and then I'd start like cutting out shapes and color correcting it another way until finally I was doing things that I didn't think any color correction person in the world would have been able to (laughs) actually do because they basically became visual effects. I mean, there's shots in it where like I cut out, you know, a shape around my daughter and it's black and white behind her and in front of her, it's, on her face, it's color. And then I like put another layer where, you know, I cut some grain over her to create a shape of light that didn't exist in the actual film. And I just tripped out on that. But again, um, I tripped out on it, like the way that I might've tripped out on writing, you know, um, on a, on a script that I was really obsessed with and it was fun. You know, and I had no idea what I was doing. I did it over and over and over again. And then I realized my monitor wasn't like an accurate representation of what I was going to see. So I called my friend, the guy that Skip Kimball, who colors um, Stranger Things and colored my other movies. And I said, well, what monitor should I get to accurately represent? You know, so he told me about this, this TV that I could go get at Best Buy. And I did. And I colored it all on the TV again. Um, and then I, uh, called a friend of mine who is the projectionist at AFI and their big like theater where they've got a $300,000 projector basically. And I put it up there and I realized it doesn't look anything like it looks like on that OLED. (laughs) And I ended up going back to the monitor because I felt, you know, everything was going to really be watched on a monitor, like my computer monitor anyway. Um, and I just kept churning it, just, just working it and changing my mind. And, you know, oh no, I think it should all, this should all feel orange and yellow. And that (laughs) night I colored it orange and yellow. And then the next night I'd come and like change it. Um, so I was constantly revising the color correction as I went as part of this weird fluid process, you know, um, where I'm cutting the movie, color correcting the movie. I did a bunch of score or I'd have Lucas play the piano, play weird dissonant notes. And then I'd bring it into Adobe Premiere and slow them down or turn them backwards. And then we had this melodica that was a 
feature in the movie. He'd play the melodica or I would play the melodica and suddenly it became the score. And I delivered a lot of that stuff to my actual composer and he ended up programming his keyboards with only sounds that existed in the movie with, with Lucas's, the piano that Lucas is playing with, you know, weird other sounds from the movie and just played that. So everything is, everything sort of sounds like my house. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it definitely has an effect too. It's almost like a domestic insanity or something like you, you know, all the tools are coming from within the home, but they're kind of spiraling out. Which Ooh, honestly, very Polanski like. No, one of my favorite things that I've never seen in a film that I thought was incredible was when like Lucas was kind of reassessing all of his material stuff and kind of attributing to them kind of like symbolic power, like looking at things he had had growing up and trying to like put a puzzle together. It kind of felt almost like what uh, people do online with conspiracies where you're mm-hmm. like, you're creating a um a uh what is it, like a yarn board and you're you're connecting dots where he just had a bunch of items he had owned like where did that idea come from and did you script any of that or was like lucas really like riffing on those no so at a certain point i knew i needed to have these have the kids sort of start to figure it out and um lucas just it just felt to me that he was so intelligent in the movie and uh and so i and 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 the idea that the demon was kind of implanting ideas in their head dreams in their heads that they had to decipher they were he was the demons leaving objects for them to decipher yeah so uh, at one point i just you know sort of scripted or i or sort of did it in 80 i'd have lucas come in and be like what if you say this about this object and this about that object and then i'd call him back in you know the next night and we'd redo it um and eventually i realized lucas has to be like a brilliant person to be able <laughs> to figure this out so then i had to like go back and 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 sh- figure out how to plant for the audience that he was this sort of brilliant kid who could figure things out but in piecemeal so that it doesn't all happen at once so that his confidence in his ability to d- decipher yeah. the meaning of things, you know, uh, is earned and that his sister would even believe a single word he said, <laughs> you know, yeah. he had to be right about little things in order for him to be right about the really big things later. Um, yeah, so sure. it, it didn't, didn't start out with that idea. Um, but luckily, um, Lucas can, can really act. And so when I'd give him like, you know, the idea, um, the orange means this and the egg means that. And, yeah, you know, and he would just spit it back out um, in his own. And I would say, do it in your voice, not mine. And sometimes I would like tell him exactly how I wanted it to be. Um, but it just developed naturally like that, you know, and at some point, like he has the longest rambling like exposition about <gasps> objects that are have been found i mean the scene probably goes on for like at the first cut of the, the scene where he's like really deciphering everything that must have been like 15 minutes and then I kind of <laughs> but it's all lucas talking you know yeah i love it 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 really reminded me of going in like wikipedia or something and going and then you start to like feel like you're piecing together the universe and it's like yeah Either that or I'm going crazy. 
And I don't know. It felt like such a pure form of that. Now, it's funny because in a horror movie, normally what you're doing there for the story is usually done by like a Ouija board or some kind of like device. Was there anything that came up when you were making the script that like Lucas and the kids had just rejected from having watched bad horror movies? Like, no, we're not going to have a Ouija board here. We've seen this and it never is scary. Ouija's good. Just like I feel like Lucas and Iris would reject me all the time. They'd say, no, that's too this or that's too that. Do you remember any instances, Lucas? Yeah, I totally do. Like in ADR, you'd be like telling me to say this one thing. And I'm like, that doesn't sound like me. Like, don't don't put that in the movie. Or sometimes I would just watch some scenes and I would be like, come on. Well, <laughs> Well, Lucas, you've been on Amazon Prime watching found footage movies. Can yeah. you tell? I mean, one of the biggest issues we have is when people are too scripted, they just come across like stale. But when people are kind of like riffing or I don't know, there's a lot of them in the role. Yeah. Can can yeah. you tell when people are being more authentic? Yes, 100%. Like there's a lot of times when you can tell, like it's almost as if they're just putting the script in front of their face and they're like, blah, 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 blah. And they have no emotion, and they're kind of monotone. I try to not do that a lot. No, yeah, you didn't, and yeah. it's great. Actually, yeah. I'm curious now that you're uh, you're out there poking around in horror, and like kind of dealing with the in-world camera narrative. You should uh, try and get your dad to watch. There's a subgenre of found footage films that are all built out of video games. And it's an interesting kind of like new subgenre where like it's kind of born out of creepypasta where people will have like a glitch happen in Pokemon and they're like, oh, but then, you know, it takes a paranormal turn. There's a uh, there's a little um, pocket out there that's been unexplored. You know, Jacob, maybe I'll send you some links out there because I don't know if I want Lucas poking around on the Internet and then coming yeah, back. And send some links for a while. <laughs> How also, also, Lucas, if you don't vary your interest in life, then it, in 20 years from now, you'll be talking about dumb stuff like this. <laughs> <laughs> there is, okay, Jacob, there is Petscop. It is oh like, oh my God. It is like What's five that? hours long. It's called Petscop. Um, like the pet, pets cop. Yeah, Petscop. Yeah. Pets now, cop. it's a YouTube, it's a, a series of YouTube videos. It's actually uploaded like it was a dude who had found a prototype to a game that isn't real. But through the game, there's a story that reflects kind of his own life. It is avant-garde. I will just call it that. And it really pays off if you can engage with it. Clark clearly could not engage it's with it. It's 16 days long. It's, it's like five hours. But it's broken up. And, you know, part of this new medium is you can interact with people mm-hmm. in not a, just a 90-minute block yeah it could be like 15 minute videos that you're uploading and they get like millions of views like it's i don't know in from who though exactly (laughs) from who so you know sitting on the couch watching horror movies how do you how do you know what you want to jump into with like your boy next to you do you um screen like five minutes before or do you go off of the rating on amazon prime or do you do you show him something that you know you revered as a youth well we did we i did show him some stuff that we revered as youths, my wife and i and sometimes he'd like it and sometimes he'd think it was boring but our rule is basically like 
we don't want to show you slasher movie. Like we don't care. I mean, I, I the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is incredibly disturbing and a well-made movie, but I don't necessarily need to show that to no. my kids when they're ten yeah. or eleven or twelve years old. And sure, um, and I'm honestly I'm not sure what the value actually is of a lot of those movies, um, even if they're entertaining. Um, and I think, you know, the sort of nihilism that's expressed even in a movie like Scream, which I really like, um, I mean, I enjoy it. It's entertaining. But I, I do think that they're, you know, who was it? Tipper Gore. Who, 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 who was the person in the 80s that who was, you know, sort of saying there's a connection between violence in movies and video games uh, and actual violence and most liberals like me? would have said, no, that's not true. Um, I think that there's some, some deep truth to it. You know, I was looking at the, um, the videos that were made by this odd kid who just shot at people in Highland park, Mm -hmm. where I have relatives. Um, my, my aunt's friend got shot in the foot by this guy Whoa, he's clearly deeply influenced by um, the violence in video games. And there's something – the video games have become so desensitizing. Um, and, I, and one of the reasons why I didn't want to portray video games in the movie was I hate them. Oh. Now, I, 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 uh, I think Lucas knows this, but one of the things that happened during the pandemic – um, is all these kids like the only way they could communicate was in first person shooter games screaming at each mm-hmm. other and they would scream at each other and scream obscenities at each other and get into huge awful fights and say terrible things to each other and it was really quite disturbing to watch um, and it's also hard to tell your child don't do that because that's the way that kids are socializing yeah all their friends are getting together, but I can't, I can't imagine that, that that's not affecting people's minds in a negative way. Um, so how do you, how do you get a grip on that? Like if you guys are sitting there just surfing through Amazon prime, like, do you trust their rating system or did it have, I think you can figure it out by watching, you know, 20 seconds of the trailer. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you're not, you're going to get 20 seconds into that trailer and you go, oh, this is, this is just a violent slasher film or it probably yeah. is, you know, or no, this thing's interesting. It's about human beings and there's some violence in it, but the violence is going to mean something. And I think when violence means something and when there's, you know, um, uh, consequences to the violence and, and, and it's thoughtfully portrayed, then that's um, something totally different than just a exploitation of violence in order to get people excited and get people to buy popcorn. And so, you know, you never know, but you can always turn a movie off. Yeah. You know, uh, five minutes in when you realize, Oh, this thing is just after, (laughs) after my adrenaline at at any cost. Yeah. You know, and then I just want to stop. I don't want to watch those movies. I don't need to. So what um, what films did you revere that he just thought was completely boring? Well, I think we watched The Shining to start with, and he thought it was totally boring. Did you think The Shining was boring? 
No, you're muted, Lucas. No, I did not. I did not think it was boring. I thought it was really good. I the one thing is I don't think it's that scary. Like I feel like it's it's good. It's it's more of a thriller to me than like a horror movie. It's a drama. It's it's yeah. it's it's yeah. about a father going crazy, right? Yeah. But, I I, uh, I actually was really sad when the um guy I think it was like the owner of the hotel or something, he got killed. It's yeah. a pretty sad scene. Cat what's his name? Catman Scruthers or Yeah. Uh, we watched <laughs> The Grudge is a movie that terrified me when I watched it, and so it, watched it wasn't it. scary. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I saw The Grudge in a theater, and I was scared too. And I remember leaving thinking, "Oh, horror's back." You know, The Grudge didn't hit like The Ring hit for me. What? Oh man, <laughs> I'm telling you, as a 15 year old, that was. Yeah. I will tell you this: The Ring was the first movie I ever saw by myself in a theater. Why were you alone? Because I was with family and they were doing something I didn't want to do and <laughs> I could go to the movie. So I went to yeah, the I, movie. I yeah. love The Ring. I think The Ring is an amazing movie, but um, I also don't think it's a horror movie. Jacob. Sounds, I don't think it's a horror movie. And, and I, I argued that with the producer of, of The Ring when I was working on the script for The Ring 3. Which yeah. I I take very little responsibility for the outcome of the ring. <laughs> but when I was talking with Walter Parks, who's a brilliant person who wrote war games, I said, that's not a scary movie. The ring is not a scary. It didn't scare me at all. And he was like, what? This is the scariest movie in the world. I'm like, Walter, it is not a horror movie. It is about what happens to this, to this, the psychology of a little girl who is, you know, demonized and oppressed and, and horror is committed against her and how that just sort of, you know, how that pushes forward into the universe. It's a really heady movie to me, you know, oh, it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's about the migration of abuse and how it just kind of plays out and, and, and ripples on and on and on. And it's a really a movie about exposition. Who is this girl? It's a mystery. I'm telling you, it's not a horror movie. It's a mystery movie. And you're- well, it's a horror movie with some depth there <laughs> well, because it's, it's going it's to hit for that audience, but it also is going to hit for a 15 year old Clark Little who was only, who was terrified of that little girl coming out of the TV. I know people were really scared of that. I, I think Lucas is, what did Luke, did you think that it was scary when the little girl came out of the TV? I did not think it was scary whatsoever. I thought it was one of the least scary movies I've ever watched. I think Lucas was like, those visual effects are terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 2002 was a different time. <laughs> I mean, I like the movie. It's a scary idea, but it's a good idea, bad execution, probably because oh. of the visual effects. Oh. You know what? What's the name of the movie that we love so much about grief? Um, Babadook. Babadook. Oh, good. It's so scary. Babadook might be one of my favorite horror movies that I've ever seen. Did you see the new Scream? Yes. You did? Yeah. (laughs) When did you see it? I didn't see it. (laughs) Oh, you saw it wrong. Is it good? (laughs) 
it, I didn't I didn't really like the motive of the killer this time. It was kind of I'm moving I'm moving locations because I'm in my uh I'm in my father's house and he just came up into the kitchen. He's milling about. <laughs> no worries. Closer, closer to the router. Yeah, no, I brought up Scream 5 because, you know, um, Scream's so interesting because it, they kind of give a voice to contemporary horror fans, and they've been pretty good about finding the pulse, and they kind of went for the Babadook in that movie. They came after them, and and kind of what we're talking about now, which is kind of like elevated uh, horror, I think is the term that Easy they were using. with that term. Yeah, where they were saying, you know, horror doesn't have to mean anything. Like it can just be the slashers that you're avoiding. And um, they really, they pointed out Babadook multiple times in that movie, which, you know, I get to, I am privileged and I get to sit here and talk to Clark about horror movies all day. So after a while you start to get tired of it, but I don't know. I thought it was hilarious. I don't know about the new scream, but the the old scream wasn't about nothing. It was, you know, it was about, it was about, you know, what, what was it about? Like a kid who had felt, wrong who was mentally ill and another kid who would do anything to impress him and you know there were there were a lot of interesting human themes in there mixed in with a bunch of stabbings well (laughs) here's the thing scream i don't know if it was intended but they kind of have a a thing we were talking about earlier where it's kind of like copycat violence where you know, they're watching movies and they're seeing violence portrayed, but it's almost more like a shooter thing where it's like, if we do a horrible crime and we take out enough people, the media will make sure that we are remembered. And like, I don't think that was the intent with the first scream. I mean, originally that script was supposed to be a comedy. Yeah. But you know, when I'm looking back on him, like Billy Loomis wanted to be in the newspaper and remembered and have books written about him and people fear him. So, yeah, you're totally right. Those movies are, uh, they're actually an example of thoughtful horror films. Yeah. yeah. All right. So before we close, I want to circle back on something um, that we talked about, I don't know, 30 minutes ago. Uh, but I have to do this, Jacob, sometimes because Russell gets on these, <laughs> you know, filibuster kicks where he thinks so he's sorry. Jimmy Stewart in Washington. Mm-hmm. That's a reference for the kids. Yeah. <laughs> um, but. Uh, I just we were talking about Dogma 95 and, you know, all the rules that, you know, are sort of inset in the world of found footage. But, you know, just as a whole, how are you with rules, Jacob? Do you do you get annoyed by them? Are you trying to break them, you know, creatively, whatever? But no, I, I, I think that rules like truisms are there for a reason. Um, I think that people ought to, um, be very comfortable with looking at the things that work in art or in any field, science, math, whatever, and imitating it, um, looking to the reasons why some things are boring and some things are not boring, the reasons why some things are intense and emotional and the reasons why, and, and often a lot of the, um, concepts are very basic fundamental rules you know like if the audience is um aware of something that the character is not aware of Mm -hmm. that's called dramatic irony and that creates a tension 
between you know the audience and and the character um where you're like either dreading that the character is gonna you know in horror i guess you know uh walk outside and the killer is going to jump out of the bush and you know, the killer's there, you know, um, and in a drama, it's, you know, the character doesn't know that, uh, their boyfriend cheated, but you know, you know, so like you, you, you get to know, Oh, look, Iris just showed up. My daughter just showed up. Hi, Iris. I just got off of work and I walked home. (laughs) I understand. We both did too. Well, well, we're just talking about uh, how your father doesn't like rules. No, I like rules. I think rules are good. You like your own rules, other people's rules, but I mean, not as much, which I understand. I feel the same way. (laughs) No, I think think that if you're going to be a painter, you need to learn how to paint a still life. And, and yeah. if you're going to be a dramatist, you need to understand some basic fundamental things um, about how to create trauma. Um, and, and so there's no shame in knowing those things and then trying to forget them as you create. And then realizing that as you created your thing, you were actually following a bunch of rules that you didn't even realize you were following because they became so kind of a part of you. Um, and, you know, sure, I've broken rules. Like in, in my movie, The Details, I very deliberately had Toby Maguire pull a gun out in the first act of the movie. And I said, I'm going to be the guy that, you know, pulls the gun out in the first act and then doesn't use it. And you're going to yeah. wonder how I'm going to use that gun the whole time. <laughs> and then it's not going to be a gun. It's going to be a crossbow. <laughs> you know, um, you know, or, you know, you can't kill a dog in a movie. I, I made the mistake of, of killing a dog three times in my time travel movie with David Ayelowo. <laughs> Don't let go. And Peter was upset about that. We actually intended to, to save the dog in the end, but the shot didn't work. And so, <laughs> yeah, I, my sister will walk out of a movie. There's a website called Does the Dog Die? I believe it's does the dog die.com and they catalog not a sponsor all animal violence. And she will humor me every now and then and watch a horror movie, but she looks it up every time. And if there's an animal in there, she walks out and won't say anything. You know, in mean Creek, um, a kid dies, you know, but also in mean Creek, uh, Carly Schroeder's character kills a snail and all anybody wanted to talk about was <laughs> snail. Did she really kill the snail? Yeah. And, um, that's cargo. Meanwhile, those same nervous people are eating hamburgers at lunch. Yeah. (laughs) So Iris, we've been talking about, he's watching for a while. I'd love to get your take. Did you enjoy, are you a fan of found footage horror? I'm a thorough fan. I've watched all of the paranormal activities, all the Blair Witch, you know, movies and everything. And we definitely, it was a it was an idea that kind of I guess you'd say like it descended a little bit. It wasn't was it like Dad, would you say it was our first idea to have it a found footage film? Um, it- well, no, that actually wasn't our first idea. We started shooting these very like you know, um uh, proscenium wide shots of things happening and then it slowly became a found footage movie. Yeah. That's yeah, true. I- 
it's it's definitely it added I think it makes it easier to act too especially when you're holding the phone yourself like as if you're genuinely because you know I've I've filmed plenty of videos to send to my parents where I have to (laughs) so I love it I I love whenever a non-found footage director kind of veers into our lane and you your film occupies a really unique like space now and when when does it come out am I right in a couple of weeks yeah, it comes out um, July twenty first, which I think is a Friday. But it might actually, they might actually release it on some channels on the twentieth, which is a Thursday. But the twenty first is the official release date. And is that going yeah. to hit VOD? It's going to be VOD, but it's also going to be on Amazon. Um, I, you know, I, I sort of lost track. I all I know is they they asked for like. 10 different insurance certificates, which means it's going to be on 10 different platforms at some point. Um, And, uh, but I haven't um, been haranguing them about exactly which ones, you know, but I know (laughs) Amazon, Amazon for sure. iTunes for sure. And God knows what else. I don't know. Well, Iris, are you excited for this to get out there? Or is this something you're embarrassed of? Man, I, okay. So, now that I've grown up a little bit, like I've shaved my head and had it grown back since we filmed the movie, I can kind of look at it in a much more positive light than I did. I'm not insecure about uh, myself as much. I don't, I'm not, you know, it's just something I did a year ago that I'm proud of. So yeah. I don't have anything to be, you know, worried about anymore. And nothing, I'm not embarrassed about my friends seeing it or any of that. And I'm, I'm really thrilled that it's, this worked out because we, we worked every day for like several years. Oh, we worked also when we didn't know we were working. Like we would take one of my favorite anecdotes about making the movie, which we haven't talked about yet. You know, the tree at the end where like, there's like this big shot of this tree and Iris has a nightmare about this tree. So Iris and I were taking a hike in Elysian park and that we both stopped and saw this tree and it was just so such a beautiful shaped tree. And I think I said something like, God, we should put that tree in the movie. I don't know how or why. <laughs> and Iris said, you know, we'll just go out here tonight and we'll shoot some stuff and you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what we did. We went out, <laughs> and, you know, we put on some kind of Gothic clothing and um, shot a bunch of shots out there having no clue what it would be for. And actually, I wouldn't have done that if Iris hadn't been so positive about the idea of just trying it, seeing what happened. And then eventually I found a way to incorporate it into the movie. It became like a big, a big thing. And I went back out there again and shot myself as the demon out there, you know, so that I could connect the two worlds. And um, yeah, that's, that's I, I, I'd like to add that, like, I'm really happy for our family as a whole that we like, you know, kept it together and let each other be artistic and not, you know, there are times I was upsetting for me, but, you know, just cause I committed myself to something that I didn't really anticipate how real it was going to become. And then once I, once I accepted the realness of it, it made me really proud of everybody working together. And it's, I think a really unusual 
activity for a family to be able to do together. So I'm, I'm happy to see how this all unraveled. Yeah, while you guys were making it, um, did you have to kind of, was it like the constant point of conversation at the dinner table? And like, was there any off time? (laughs) I mean, my dad is, you know, when he's, when you're working on a project, it's like, your brain's on art project mode. I'm the same way with painting, but it's, I understand there's always a conversation to be had about it. So there was definitely a lot of like, discussion not shooting especially you know we just hang out and get lunch and talk about what we want to do and what we don't want to do and so yeah so to answer the question yeah because it was a i mean this is a literal translation of working from home so (laughs) you know you got to separate yourself from that a bit yeah and the the horror community they they love a horror family i mean um are you guys familiar with the adams family like I know it's a little confusing with not the show, not the movie, the actual Adams family. Yeah, um, we know about the Adams. I know about the Adams family. Do you do the kids? I don't know. Yeah, I I just thought it was the the show that's like da 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 da. No, There's I don't know. A, uh, I don't know. I don't know if my dad mentioned this already, but Lucas definitely made it a point to watch every horror film on. Netflix and Amazon during the span of. Yeah, that's uh, how we opened up the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the Adams family. I don't think we do know about the Adams family. No, uh, they're just a family. It's a uh, what? A mother daughter. Uh, there's a couple of daughters. One only recently showed up in a film. Yeah, but it's a uh, parent and two kids team who, during the lockdown, took advantage of the remote schooling and got in an RV and drove all over the country filming. I believe they put out two movies during the time. Uh, right now, they have Hellbender out, which is on Shutter. But it's the same thing. Their whole crew is three people, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're getting such a warm welcome, too. I mean. Really if, creative. Yeah. If, if you all want to take a turn into uh, making family collaborations. Right. Take this thing on the road, baby. Exactly. That's something we probably talked about once a week during quarantine was getting an RV. That it's like we talked about natural progression, but we didn't talk about making movies in an RV. (laughs) (laughs) Just wanted to get out of Los Angeles while we still could. Yeah, it's not that glamorous. I mean, we talked to them. I believe they were what in Portland on the show when we they called in. Yeah. And while we were talking, they actually got evicted from their parking spot. So they actually had to start up the RV and move while they were on the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, um, Iris, you, you, all you really missed in this conversation was us saying how happy we are that y'all made a found footage movie. Like the Adams Family, we weren't able to convince them to do an in-world camera film. But uh, you did fantastic. And the movie, um, so we showed it at a film fest and we had a lobby where people would meet and talk about the film after. And everybody just loved you and your brother on screen. And I mean, this is a group of horror fans who were like, it didn't even have to be a horror movie. It could have just been these two hanging out during the lockdown. And it was uh, fascinating. You guys had chemistry and I mean, it, uh, I couldn't tell what was scripted or not. You guys, you seem natural. So I hope you keep doing it. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, Real siblings, we really fight a lot. We really <laughs> laugh a lot, scream a lot. You know everything in between. So it's 
made it. I made it easy. But that's good to hear. That makes me really happy. Yeah, well, that, that chemistry made it work. Yeah. It made yeah. it work. All right. Well, we have kept you guys uh, for far too long and uh, super appreciative of your time. And um, again, uh, Jacob, great to see you again. And uh, before we l- cut you guys loose, just, you know, sell the movie one more time. <laughs> just you know, what, what do you what do you want to leave our listeners with? Well, um, who was it? There was some playwright, like Harold Pinter, some but some playwright in in London in the in the sixties or something like that would write these terrible reviews of his own movies, like he would just tear them to shreds. So that was his sales pitch. Um, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I don't, I don't know. I think you, I think seeing them, it's just a, it's a movie that we made where we wanted to. Um, we just were trying to connect. Um, and we were like making a movie about, you know, awful things happening to good people and the way in which like, um, tendencies to be selfish and, um, just sort of migrate from, from father to daughter, father to son and onward. And, and just tried to make a, make a fun, a fun movie that also was about something. And, um, and you know, go see it and see what you think. I mean, that's that's my that's my sales pitch. I don't I I, I don't know. He's All watching. Right, and to close it out, Iris and Lucas, your sales pitch on the movie. Go. <laughs> <laughs> my sales pitch was so bad. <laughs> All right, let me see. Let me try to formulate this quickly. What's the sales pitch? You got to tell us, man. No, what's a sales pitch? I don't even know what a sales oh, pitch is. Oh, this makes it even better. <laughs> it's whatever you want it to be. Um, whatever I want it to be. Why okay. should people see the movie? I, this I, movie I, have a, I have a, I think I have an answer. It's an intuitive look into greed, destruction, um, envy, family dynamics. Oh, man. The, like, essence of a home kind of coming to life through the eyes of maybe the people living in it more so than anything else. And, uh, scary. That was pretty good, Jacob. (laughs) That was pretty good. We we tried really hard. Let's see what you think. (laughs) (laughs) On July 21st, on the banner, they tried really hard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, the whole um, onset of this project was to be better than a certain film that shall not be named. Do you think you succeeded? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, um, we made it. I've made films before. Uh, these, you know, I know how to coach actors. And these kids turned out to be really good actors. Uh, you did get lucky life. there. I did get totally yeah. lucky there. Well, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to continue if they weren't so good. And so, you know, um, we, we had certain advantages, um, just, you know, a lot of experience making movies and a lot of talent in the family. So, um, and dad and, uh, your willpower and your ability to sit in that office and yeah. work. That was an advantage that I don't think I look not many times in a, in anybody's career in film. Can you just sit in your office for two years 
inventing a movie and 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 reshooting it and getting into your office and going oh shoot i forgot a shot i'm gonna go shoot it again or shoot, shoot, shoot it differently or oh i think the camera should be over the record player instead of so then and just to go go 10 feet away and shoot it so i had all these advantages uh that i'll never have again and i think that that comes through i mean it comes through in the sense of like, it's a well-made film. I, if I, if I do say so myself, I hate to say it. It is, it's, it's well-constructed for sure. Confirmed. But, but um, you don't often get a chance to, to make a well-constructed film because you're just so frantically trying to just get anything uh, that looks and sounds and feels like a movie because you're running out of time. Everything is super expensive. You can't do things twice. And unless you're Woody Allen, who puts, you know, 30% of his budget aside for reshoots, nobody does that. You know, nobody, nobody, nobody is afforded that opportunity unless they're really deliberate about it. So this was a weird chance where, like, even after I finished cutting it and showed it to the people that bought it, and they said they wanted it to be creepier in the beginning, I had an aha moment. And I went up into the mountains with my friend Lonnie. And we shot a creepy scene up in the mountains between the creeper and, and this clown character. And the clown character didn't even exist when I sold the movie. And then I put the clown yeah. character in another scene. <laughs> and suddenly he's a, he's a major presence in the movie. And I don't even know what the clown character is. He's just one of, the, one of the characters from the horror movies that the father made before this film, I guess. And yeah. um, so, you know, it was this very strange process uh and way of making a movie i imagine maybe not comparing it this is one of my favorite movies in the world i didn't make anything this good but boyhood you know that that's an incredible movie it's like this wild experiment where you get to watch a child grow up and i'm sure that you know all kinds of amazing things happened because of the amount of time that got piled on top of the thought and um, uh, bizarre things must have happened and sprouted out of that just by watching the kid. Oh, the kid. Now he has pimples. Oh, now he's this, now he's that. And then let's, let's, let's go with this and let's go with that. And that's a rare experience to have in a, in a movie, unless you're making, what was that movie? Seven up where you're following people for generations. And in a little way, I got to do that in this movie following my kids through a year and a half of their life or my thought process, just following my thought and committing, committing those thoughts to scenes instead of pages, which is really unusual, you know? So, you know, I think that that makes it an unusual film, hopefully worth your time. I don't know. I loved it. I'm sure someone will say, I want my time back. That's my favorite. (laughs) I can never get those 90 minutes back. Now, before you leave, again, just two points to leave you with. Definitely yeah. check out the Blackwell Ghost. That's family friendly. Um, oh, man. The kids may hate it, but I think you might appreciate the storytelling. Number three takes a wild turn. And then the fear footage, I think, is another good one. That one's good for ideas. You may think the execution's a little like lowbrow, but. I I mean honestly what I'm trying to do is get you back playing in in world camera again. 
Because we'd love to have you. We might. The kids might be 45 when we do it, though. (laughs) There you go. Link ladder it. it. Yeah, exactly. All right. All right. Uh, Thanks for having us. Again, thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye. <laughs>